Welcome to The Ziggler Show. I'm your host, Kevin Miller. This is our Q&A show. Have you ever, for your work or personal life, practiced and or gotten coaching uh, for a presentation, for sales, a live and onstage presentation, for getting a job or a date or anything? This is the question I posed to The Ziggler audience. So Zig Ziggler starts us off with a five-minute lesson on mastering your personal presentation. Now he's focused primarily on sales, but if you know Zig, you know that he felt everyone is a salesperson. So it's just as relevant for our personal lives. I mean, Zig, he did master sales and then he mastered the stage, but he did realize that all of life is a presentation and how we are perceived is up to us and how we choose and work to present ourselves. So Michelle Prince joined me to talk through the many comments on how people have worked to hone their work and life presentations. All right, friends. Well, here then, Michelle Prince and I talk through your comments to the question, have you ever, for your work or personal life, practiced and or gotten coaching for a presentation? Okay, this is show 670 Q&A with Michelle Prince. All right, Michelle. So we're talking about a topic that you live. I mean, you live this out uh Day in and day out. Uh, you just said yesterday you got back from a big speaking engagement. I didn't ask. Where were you speaking? Who were you speaking for? I was speaking for an association, uh, the National Association of Pro uh, Productivity and Organizing Professionals. <laughs> wow. That's a mouthful. Yeah. It was great. It was a very uh, upbeat, exciting group, people that are you know ready to take action. I mean, they, they help people do that on a daily basis. So it was really great. Okay. Well, so there, I mean, so you do that obviously for your own person as somebody who is in sales, who is, who is doing literal on stage presentations. That is a, well, and, and of course, when we think about this, we think about sales, you know, you prepare okay. that. And of course that's what made Zig famous to begin with. That was his forte with sales. So we think about that with sales, with uh, a job interview. And as we were talking just a minute ago, you, know, you have the funny scenes in the movies and whatnot where, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're prepping to ask somebody out on a date or ask somebody to marry them or something like that. But to go further, I mean, if you, if anybody's done marriage counseling, sometimes we talk about, you know, rules of engagement. Here's how to, when you want your spouse to hear you or you want to hear them, here are some things to do and don't do. And we can go further into how do you talk to your teens? How do you ask for a raise or a promotion? Customer service seems to focus, you know, somewhat on this, but generally in life, I mean, if you take a broad scope of, of the average people at a nice restaurant, how many of them have ever taken a moment to think about how they come across in any format? And I would say pretty low. What do you think? Oh, for sure. I mean, I think there's certain things we just normally with our businesses, I, I know for speaking every time you speak, even if you've, you've done the presentation 10 times, you still practice it because you want to make sure you're at your best sales presentations. It's funny. I, you know, most of my life was in sales. And I sold software and my whole job was flying around the country doing presentations and demos. And even though I had done it a hundred times, the exact same thing, I still practiced it every single time. Just because for me, I, I never wanted to feel unprepared or it just alleviated any nerves or, or stress if I just had some time to prepare in advance. But I think we do it. I, or I hope we do it for everything, but, um, the little things, I don't know that we do as much, like you said, talking to a spouse or, or, yeah. you know, 
That's and that's what I wonder. That's kind of where I brought the point. That's why I brought the point here to the show. We recently in show six fifty one had Oscar Tremboli, and we talked about his message. It was, it's in his book of deep listening, and it's it really brought to light how you know how do we come across to people as well not only are we just listening but how do we come across and i think all of us you know of course when we talk about sales and zig says we're all in sales i think we all desire to or have a need to influence people yes and yet we are often ourselves or we witness people i think we're probably more adept at that witnessing people and go man did they have any idea how they come off Mm. Uh, and, or, or we suffer ourselves and, and realize, gosh, why don't people listen to us? I have, I have good ideas. I have, I have things. Why don't people listen to us? Or I wish I could have more influence here. And coming back, I wonder if we had a video on ourselves and what would we look like? And I'm sure you've done, now, I don't know if you've done video. Have you done video? I know I've done audio. Um, yeah. and, and recent years I have done a little video to watch myself and go, Oh gosh, I'm doing that talking too fast thing. I'm doing the, um, or like, you know, the filler stuff, or I am, my wife got me one time. She's you're constantly scratching your nose. And I, (laughs) I realized when I talk, just kind of the vibration of my voice makes my nose tickle. And so it is, it wasn't even a nervous thing. It was a real, I have to put a little lotion on my nose, keep myself from, I've wondered if I've done that with you, Michelle. Uh, That's so funny. No, I haven't noticed that, but yeah, we all have something, right, Kevin? (laughs) Well, and so there's the point. Uh, Well, here, so so I wanted to give that premise, Michelle, because I know, again, this is something that you are, I don't know if I'd call myself a professional in this arena. You are. Um, so, uh, likewise, while I wanted to have you uh, do the show with me. So, uh, here, as we read through these, we'll come back to what we just went over. So Tony Cooper, she says, yes, many times, uh, I'm a firm believer in having a coach help you improve your craft. I practice mine in the mirror of the car, record it on my phone and I play it back. My coach videos me and we work through it. I've been speaking to large and small audiences for over 20 years. I think we should develop our strengths daily. I've had a selling coach for the past five years. As for practice, I practice for presentations extensively. Uh, my husband does mock interviews to me to prepare uh, for interviews. Uh, and I thought, you know, so here she is, and that's kind of the consummate. That's what we expect, right? She's in the professional field. She's doing that. But I wonder what, if I was to ask her, how has that influenced her communication skills or her presentation when she's with her husband, her kids, her family, whatever? That is such a great question. And I'm just thinking for myself, I mean, I do prepare like we talked about for my, my presentations, but yeah, I don't know that I prepare as much for conversations in the home. I think I, you know, the important ones, I I can recall a few times when I wanted to talk to my boys about something serious, you know, whether it be about drugs or alcohol or, you know, all the things that parents have to deal with as, you know, kids are being, and I, I think I would practice a little bit, but most of the time, I don't know that I do. It. I wonder if it's a little bit of personality too, because sure. I am definitely the type that I will speak and then think, whereas my husband is more, he thinks about everything before he speaks. Mm-hmm. So maybe people who are more analytical tend to be better at preparing than those who aren't. I'm, I'm just saying, I don't know. I, I totally agree with you. And I think there's probably a little bit of a slippery slope here because you hear the old term from the entertainment arena, you know, of life is a performance. And I, I would agree, but that sounds bad. I have, I, so here I'll admit it. I have some issues with always feeling like I'm performing and I get, I get drained with social engagements 
and I, I don't know, how, how do you just be me? Because sometimes I think just being me, man, I'm, I'm probably not that gracious or tolerant or caring, you know? So I, I, I am performing. So, okay, so there's, there's the, the, maybe the difficult side of it. But on the other side, we are all exposed to other people and we have opinions on how they come across, whether we care to listen to them or, or not. I mean, there is some real performance. If, I guess if we want to have relationship and then that bigger word to me is influence. That's the one. That's the one that's daunting to me, Michelle. I mean, especially for somebody who wants to, who wants to help people. If you can't influence them, you, you fall on deaf ears. That, that's, that's the rub. Well, the thing is that we all are influencing people. Yeah. We just don't necessarily know it. People that are professionals or have their own business, they're more aware that they are influencing by, you know, the service or the product that they're offering. Speakers, you're influencing, you know, good or bad, you know, with yeah. whatever you say on the stage. But truly, we're all influencing somebody. And, you know, in fact, yesterday, what I was talking about was your brand and how you monetize your brand. But the thing is, your brand is you. It's the experience. It's the feeling that people get when they're with you. So are you giving people the experience that is positive and uplifting and in line with what you are wanting to, to be and do? Or are you showing up a little bit negative and, and out of alignment with what, what you want your brand to be? And you know, that's tough because we yeah. are influencing, no matter if you believe it or not, you are, you're influencing your kids, your spouse, your family, your neighbor down the street, or the people you're serving. Well, I just had a stark, you made me think of this and I hadn't even thought to bring it into the discussion here, but I have had a recent uh, business. We didn't even launch it. It was, it was less than a soft launch. It was a little market outreach. And what we found out is the 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 offering is is awesome. It's it's killer. How we presented it was not. It caused some confusion and didn't answer the big questions right up front. And when you're in the online world, well, everybody's in the online world. So when somebody yeah. comes, to <laughs> now look, we are. Now we are. Somebody comes to look at your product, your service, your message online. You have a finite time. It doesn't matter how great the product is. You have a finite amount of time to get the point across and to you know hook them and to get them interested and whatnot. And if you violate that, uh, you violate, there's, there's no getting around that we did. And so we're doing a 180 on the website and on the presentation and the information, the product's no different, uh, yeah. but how we present it. So that was a stark one because I want people just to go, come on, obviously this is great. Right. And they go, yeah, but we don't quite understand it. Well, shoot that is back to presentation. Brand. And we just take for granted that everybody knows what we know, yeah, <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, like, Oh, yeah. of course, can't you see this? Of course you, you, you know, can't you see it the way I'm seeing it? Well, you, you see it a totally different way because you've been embedded in it. That yeah. happens to me sometimes too. You know, the things that I take for granted as well, everybody knows how to do that. Uh, even in publishing, you know, when I help people with books, I'm like, Oh, well, you know how to do that. You know how to get that on Amazon. And it's like, no, no, they don't. <laughs> and so you, you have to, you have to give people what they need, not necessarily what we need. Mm -hmm. And communicating it is super important. Communication is everything, right? And, and that's how you influence is how you communicate through your, your audible, but also body language. All of that communicates and influences people. That's, and that's what's daunting. I think it, yeah, that relational aspect. We go, Gosh, can I just be me and be like for who I am? Well, <laughs> we, 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 we all want that, but we don't tend to extend that to other people. We talk about how they do influence us for the better or worse, how they irritate us, how they bless us, whatever. So we're obviously, 
uh, it matters. It ma- okay, let me. Uh, we keep. We, we'll keep talking about this. Ron, <laughs> Ron Be- uh, Valencia. He says, "I personally believe in visualization as a form of practice in many professional situations, especially interviews, asking for a raise, talking to the boss about controversial issues, hosting a meeting, or giving speeches. I try to imagine." What I would say and how, especially in large group settings, I will also try to imagine both positive and negative feedback so I can be prepared. I, I mean, that's professional. That's again, there's sales that's 101 uh, to some degree. Well, I, I'm going to, so I'm going to take that point to ask you from a, gosh, from a persuasion. Let's, let's use the word persuasion uh, aspect. Obviously there's in that in sales. If we read Zig's book, you know, uh, on, on closing the sale and things like that, we know that people have hangups with how often with salespeople who have tried to manipulate, which is not good selling is not good caring. However, when I'm going to bring this up, somebody else talks about it too. We'll get to it here in a second, but they talked about dealing with negative feedback, dealing with the, you know, the, the obstacle and trying to work around that frame that in the light for people of not being manipulative and just trying to sell somebody something who has objections, uh, but helping that yeah, go ahead. Well, so Zig always said sales is a transference of feelings. And and truly it is. If you believe that what you're selling and is going to benefit someone else, then all you're doing is taking that belief and that energy and that positivity and, and transferring that onto someone else yeah. through in, influencing. But this is why it's so critical to always, you have to, if you're in sales, and I get that we need to take jobs for money and you know we may or may not love the product, but if you can find a way to, sell something that you do believe in and you love, it's going to show it's, you're going to feel it. My very first job, Kevin out of college was uh, not a transference of positive feelings because I hated this job. I was selling copiers, no offense to people that sell copiers. It just was not right for me. And I guarantee you people felt it when I went and did a a sales call on them Mm. because I wasn't passionate about it. And the feeling I was transferring was probably like, Oh, this isn't so great. But then Fast forward six months after I got that job, I started working at Ziegler and I was selling seminars and personal development books and CDs and Zig on stage and all of those things. And I loved it. And so anyone who talked to me on the phone just knew, I mean, they had to have it because if I was so passionate about it, surely it had to be. So that's what sales is. And it's not manipulation unless you are pushing something that you don't believe is the right fit for that person. And it just goes back to integrity. And, yeah. and Zig talks about that as well. Yes. You know, you know, I, I cut my teeth in this light waiting tables at, uh, mm-hmm. at nice restaurants. And that was such a gift. I have advocated my kids do that, which I think at this point, my older kids all have, uh, had times waiting tables and it's so great. And I use that at, at home hostessing for people. Uh, it, it helps people feel well. It helps them feel desired. Um, and in that business, it depends on how much you make at the end of the night, you're looking at your tips. And we used to have competitions at one, uh, one restaurant, high end restaurant that I worked at to see who got the best tips. So man, we were, we were, we were studying stuff on how to serve people, how to understand them and how this person wanted to serve. Oh, this is somebody who wants you to talk. This is somebody who wants you to not, they want you to Mm. serve and showcase the wine expertly and keep your mouth shut and let them be their own and figure those things out. That was such a gift in other social situations, though. I I still tend to, you know, you don't treat it quite as importantly and and going back. It can sound exhausting uh, to some degree. 
I'd love though. I, that, that's a great example because what a perfect example. All you're doing is serving, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting paid for, but you're serving people. And, and if you, what a, what a great, I'm glad you mentioned that for your kids, because if you can learn to serve early in life, you're going to do really, really well, but that is sales. Sales is serving. That's all it is. And I think we get it mixed up because we have been taken advantage of before and there might be some more sleazy, you know, sales people out there that give sales a bad name, but at the end of the day, it's serving. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I'll have to say, I still end up probably once a year, I'll end up at a lunch where somebody got me there under a poor guise of, I want to pick your brain or whatever and sell me on something. And I, it's, I'm not a very confrontational person. It's very hard for me to, to do it, uh, where I feel like I, I I am appalled. Are you kidding me? Um, anyway, so yes, so we all have those experiences. We got to get beyond those. And thanks to these sponsors for bringing us today's show. Okay. Here's a, here's another one. Helen Gregory. She says, we recently did some presentation coaching. We discussed the common psychological signs of anxiety and learn how to reframe our thoughts from thoughts of failure to thoughts of nervous excitement, which psychologically feel the same. We learn to prepare well and to use whatever tools we feel will support us in communicating the message successfully. If that needs note card prompts, so be it. Uh, we were told to always think about the listener first. Give a brief intro. Make sure you make it clear what you're going to cover. Ask yourself what problem uh, does your audience have that you have a solution for? Why do they need this information? Deliver your message, then recap on what you have gone over. Mm. Beautiful. That is. You know what that just reminded me of? It's going to sound silly, but I, I use this in, in my business today. When I was in college, somebody had, I, I think I was talking about dating, that whenever you're, you know, when you talk to somebody and you're dating, you kind of like someone, you're nervous and you, you kind of fumble, you don't really know what to say and, and you're just not yourself. And then they walk mm-hmm. away and you're like, oh, why did I just mm-hmm. blow that? <laughs> yeah. You just depicted a movie scene right there. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes. I, I'm hopefully we've all experienced it, but I know I have. Um, and so I remember somebody saying that the reason you feel that way and the reason you get so nervous is because you literally imagine visually a spotlight. Like a, you literally have the spotlight on you. And so you're so worried about what you're going to say and what you're doing and are you fidgety? But when you turn the spotlight onto the other person, you're not nervous because now you're there to be a listener. You're there to be a friend. And you know, Kevin, I do this every single time when I speak on a stage, because whenever I do, we all start get a little nervous. Even Zig said he'd get a little nervous. Um, you know, a thoroughbred, he, I think he would put it that thoroughbreds right before a race, they, they get yeah. jittery in the stall. Yeah. You know, you want to be a thoroughbred. You don't want to be a, a donkey, you know? Yeah. So, um, but when I speak, I still get jitter sometimes, but I, that's when I'm like, no, I'm focused on me turn it around, turn the spotlight. And when you are so in the mode of helping someone, not for your sake or anything else, all that anxiety goes away Yeah. in dating and, and speaking in life. And so, and I think the same with sales, you know, when it's all about, Oh my gosh, I'm going to make this much commission. If I sell this today, that spotlight's on you, turn it around. Yeah. Okay. If I help them implement this, this is going to change their life. That's great. I, and I still do it, Michelle. I was in an informal sales presentation yesterday. It was, it was, it was pretty informal, but I realized at one point, and that's why I'm grateful for that. At least I realized that all of a sudden I was feeling a little nervous and I caught it and I, I shut my mouth and asked a question because I, w- I was going on and just you know, trying to talk too much and just, I 
that's just old habits. And I wasn't being conscientious of mm-hmm. myself and I didn't, I didn't really prepare well for it. I mean, I knew my stuff, but still it's uh I, so thanks for putting that out there that yeah, even the thoroughbred gets nervous and can fall into <laughs> bad habits. I did it, Michelle. It was a gosh, last year that I went to uh ZLC, Ziggler legacy. Uh, yes. Oh, gosh, it was a year. Got up right away. And you know, the first day, I think it's the first half of the day they have you come up and oh, give, it you, is. give you a topic. And mine was on, like throwing Frisbee or something. I'll give a presentation and go through your things. <clears throat> and I got up there and, uh, and then she just nailed me. I, you know, cause they videotape it. I looked at, <laughs> Oh my gosh, I cannot. That was, that was, that was poor. Uh, it was great. And you know, this is why people, uh, why people so often testify to Toastmasters, which yes. I'm afraid is not as well known nearly as it used to be, but my gosh, the testimonies are unprecedented. And what they do is they just, they, they help you have confidence when you speak, you know, you're more aware. I, I, I have never been in Toastmasters, but my brother, my dad, my sister-in-law, very, very involved. My brother went to like the national level in competition. So they, they're really into it. But for me, I I don't know. I just never did. I probably should, but they help you with the ands, the, uh, the, all that, but more than anything, you just walk away with this confidence Mm -hmm. that I, I can do this. I saw it in Dale Carnegie classes that my dad took me to audit when I was a kid and I saw them go through that. And then I had times with my dad, he recorded me one time and he says, Kevin in the past, in this, I can't remember how long it was, but in the minute or so that you spoke, you said the word, I think it was, you know, he said, you said it 30 times. Oh my gosh. I was embarrassed. I was probably mad. I was probably irritated at him, but it was a great it was a great learning experience. And so I'm, we've made that. It's not, not that my kids are perfect, uh, but they at least know that they're saying like, and they'll point it out to each other. You know, sissy, you well, just said like. I'm going to make you feel a little bit better okay. because even those, even those of us that do this a lot, I was re or I was listening back to my recording from my presentation yesterday. Cause I do record all of mine because I uh-huh. want to make sure I'm always improving. And I cringed. I, I said a word or a little phrase I, uh, probably 20 times and maybe uh-huh. no one else noticed it. I bet they did, but I was you, just unaware of it. But again, that's why we practice and that's, but I, I do, I listen to the podcast and sometimes I think, man, I did a, I did a good job. And then other one, other times I'll see, I was talking too fast and I will, and it's, it's in an area you can watch it. So, so folks here, here's disclosure. When you hear me say ums, it's because I've lost my train of thought. That's what's happened. And I can't very well on the podcast go, hold on, folks, pause. I lost my train of thought. Where was I? <laughs> so I'm, I'm scrambling for a minute. And it's better if I would pause, take those pauses. Zig was the master of the pauses, whether he did that on purpose, which he generally did. But it's also a great thing to put in there when you've lost your train of thought. Put a pause in there. It sounds a lot more brilliant than um or like you know. <laughs> But we think we have to fill that space. So we're like, uh, um, such natural <laughs> habit. It, I guess it's it taught, is. but it seems ingrained because I'll see my little kids do it uh, as well. Okay. Well, here's, here's Ashley Logson. That happens to be my sister. Uh, oh. She says, yes, yes, yes. Training is so worth it. I have been uh, to talks on how to do presentations well, seminars with Kent Julian. Uh, some people may know Kent. I worked with Kent uh, uh, for, gosh, a long time ago, but but for a lot of years. He is a coach on uh, on presentations, on doing live presentations. 
and she says she worked with her buddy AC Chan and uh, and more. And so she's she's actively gone out for coaching. And AC Chan uh, responded to her. This is on Facebook, of course. She says thanks for the mention. She says Kevin, I work with people on a range of personal communication projects, from sales presentations to TED talks. Uh, yada, yada. So great. Uh, thanks for uh, bringing that out because Ted, that's a really neat one. Everybody remembers Ted talks. I don't know how old those are, Michelle. Are, are we a decade Gosh, more? I can't remember. At least a decade. Okay. So those came out and you would take people who would get a shot at a presentation and was it good? Was it not? Uh, Simon Sinek, who we've had here on the show is one of the early folks. And he has, I think last I looked, it was on the top three Ted talks of all time. So back though, then though, I think it was pretty organic since then. If, if anybody, uh, if you don't know the Ted talks now have, it, it's pretty much a required format. Somebody came out with a book. I can't remember who it was. And I think there's multiples now on how to do a Ted talk. And they really broke down the best oh. Ted talks and it was pretty similar formats. Here's what the person did. Look, they, they presented this, they did this, yada, yada. Ted talks are historically 20 minutes long and you do not go over that at all. Um, most, again, that's what I, I, I'm, I'm paraphrasing what my memory is. It may have, have morphed there, but generally they're right around there. Uh, but they have a required format. I was told because somebody nominated me to do one at one point, I didn't, didn't do it, but they, I got the, the, uh, outline and you don't just wing it now. You don't just to go out there and do an organic talk. If you wow. want to do it, you have to follow some presentation. People are hearing this. I'm sure some of them know more than I do on the details of that, but I thought that was pretty telling. It was a point. That is. Yeah, I didn't know that either, actually. The very first TED Talk I ever heard was Randy Posh. Remember, he wrote the book, um, oh, gosh, The Last Lecture. And in fact, in my first book that I wrote in 2009, I quote that part of that talk because um, it was so meaningful to me. And anyway, so that's how long ago I know it's, it's been a long time. It, it has. I, I just I like the uh, reality that it points out. That no matter who you are, because obviously we have celebrities doing TED Talks and we have people we never heard that at this point they are saying still, if you present poorly, you will do a disservice to the audience. And so here we are going to give you a structure to do that. I, I, to me, it was uh, liberating somewhat that uh, we all have to adhere to certain things if we want our message to be heard, but going back to influence, if we want to have influence, there are, mm -hmm. there's a, there's some frameworks of success. I, I guess. Absolutely. We all want to think, well, it's just the brilliant people who fell out of the sky with, you know, uh, perfection. All right. Jennifer, uh, here, she says tons of coaching in my profession, videoing my presentation, going over it with a coach, role-playing with peers being filmed is the most brutal, but life-changing exercise. You will see yourself doing crazy mannerisms that will make you cringe, but are telling, but are telling signs to a client of nervousness, sounding scripted, not listening, et cetera. It helped me a lot. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I'd be interested to see one of me talking to one of my kids about something important. What do I do? How do I do? I, am I 15 times more stern than I would be otherwise, uh, with somebody else? I'd be curious about that myself. I think for me, I think I might, I might be better <laughs> when I'm in, in front of a group of people, um, even strangers than I think I fumble more when it's mm -hmm. something, I think because it's important, you know, especially I go back to when the kids were, were younger and talking to them about the important things yeah. and just making sure I get it just right. You know, mm -hmm. um, even stuff about their faith. And it's like, I didn't want to mess it up. So I think I would, I would fumble more than if I was just speaking on a stage to a group of people. I, I agree too. And we, I think that's good to realize that even that being, gosh, we've seen that Michelle, somebody, if we haven't seen it in ourselves, 
we've seen it with somebody else who is brilliant on stage and off stage. They're not, they don't relate to people. Well, they don't yes. connect well. They're not confident. They don't look you in the eye or they're arrogant or whatever. We've seen all sides of that. And that is, I don't know what to, to make of that other than gosh, we, why not take that into all areas of mm-hmm. our life? And it, it, as soon as I say that, as soon as it rolls off my tongue, though, I do bristle at that. It is life a performance. Can't we just be comfortable with each other? Of course, I guess it depends on the, on the, you know, on the environment, on who it is, on what the point is. And if you're sitting back and just sharing with a loved one at, at, at home, is that a performance? No, but you still go back to Oscar Trimboli, just the ideas of, of, are you listening? Um, that's yes. going to come across regardless. Nobody's going to miss that. Yeah. And which is the most important thing and the hardest thing to do sometimes. <laughs> it, it is I, that it's almost tempting to say that there's a root issue across the board. Obviously, if you're on stage, you are presenting other than that. Generally, if you're in sales, if you are asking somebody out on a date, if you're talking to your kid, talking to your spouse uh, in any social gathering, the deep listening aspects. How are you listening? And that's what Oscar goes through the four types of listeners. Are you the one who's just waiting to get your, your story in next? We all know that person. Are you the one that's waiting to give some somewhat pedantic response and say, well, let me tell you, are you, and this was me, are you the lost listener, which is you're not really listening that well. Cause you're thinking about something else entirely. You're not even thinking about the conversation. You're over here thinking about a business idea or what's for dinner or whatever, which is terrible. It's disrespectful. Uh, but I have to admit that's what, that's what I have to fight against myself. And then the other one, I can't remember how he termed it, but it was the, somebody who takes a story and just dramatizes it and goes off into Neverland uh, with that. Anyways, but that right there, if to nail that seems like probably a pretty much of a root of how we are affecting other people, influence them or not. And that's such a great point to mention for this, this podcast, because that affects everything with your presentation. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do recall being in sales and I, you know, lots of sales training, especially at Ziegler and everywhere. And and they would teach you on, you know, active listening and how you listen. And those are the cues that that's how you, you know, are you're selling, right. You're, you're selling based on what you've heard, but what happens so often is, and, and sometimes I'd have a partner with me on a sales call and, and the, the prospect would say something. And then in five minutes later, my partner would ask, so tell me about da, 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 da. I'm like, well, I already told you about that. Uh, yes. <laughs> and it kills the sale. It kills the sale because that it, it doesn't matter if it was intentional or not. If you are not listening and somebody knows it, yeah. they just, they, they look at it as either you're not professional or you don't care. And yeah. you've lost the opportunity to influence at that point. Uh, you just, outline why, and I was taught this, I didn't come up with it, why I have a, a notebook, a, something to write on with me in any type of a meeting like that. Me so too. I, oh my goodness. Yeah. It, it helps me stay on track, helps me not do that and get caught, uh, unaware. And here's a neat thing that I was taught, uh, recently I was told, and it was, it had to do with investor meetings actually. And we had a guy say, cause, cause generally I'm doing them with a business partner. We have a, a business that we've, we've been taking investment money on. And he says, when you are talking about, uh, talking to the investor, your tendency, when your business partner's talking in this case, your tendency is to uh, look at your business partner and nod and be interested in what they're saying. Cause they're talking about, it. he says, don't look at the investor. 
Does the investor care about what your partner's saying? Afterwards, you should be able to break it down and say, man, when you were talking about whatever, he was not interested at all. Right. And when you said you know, this and this, he was, and learn from that. It's so difficult for me to do that because just the human nature of it is, is when my business partner's talking, I'm looking at him. I'm resonating with him. Well, he's not selling me. He's selling the guy over here. So it makes perfect sense, but it was not natural to me. So that's one I've had to pay attention to recently that was new because I haven't spent a lifetime, you know, on the investment circuit. Because we were taught to look somebody when, mm -hmm. look at them in the eye when they're talking. <laughs> so mm -hmm. if your partner's talking, you're going to look at them, but that's true. You have to, you have to gauge the audience, the whole room and see how they're, how they're responding. And mm -hmm. also for speakers, the same goes for, you know, when you're up on a stage, you need to be aware of your audience and are you turning them on? Are you turning them off? Whether that's with one person, two people or 200. Yeah, here's, I'm going to bring this one up, uh, read one here because it comes back to a point that I'm going to ask you to, I don't know if there's anything else you want to add to it. So Clinton, uh, Rowe, he says, we used to practice pitching each other back in my door to door sales days, sometimes for hours. It was then that I had some of the best sales later in life while selling roofs and paint jobs. I would visualize and run scenarios on the way, uh, to, to present the estimate and deal with rebuttals and closing techniques. And I feel it's really helped. I, I want to bring that back uh, to rebuttals. He used that word uh, to when somebody says no. And, and again, I want to highlight that because I think that is really hard for people to take that and go, gosh, if I am teaching myself to deal with or respond to the rebuttals, that that, that again, when I'm going to use that word, it feels manipulative. That feels mm -hmm. like I'm just using a technique. Well, and, and I'll preface, I'll, I'll preface it though, because what I did learn through Zig and others is so often there is somebody who does need your product or service. They really do, but they don't, it's scary to make a decision. We all are kind of fear-based in that. We'd rather not make a decision. I know I'm that way. I'm generally looking at something going, oh, how can I just not deal with it? And yeah. yet if I need it, I, I, I need somebody to in love and care, help me see around my own obstacles of, can I really not afford it? Or does it really not, is it really not the right one for me or yada, yada? I need somebody uh, often to help me with those rebuttals that I'm going to put forward because I'm just trying not to make it a, I'd rather just not mess with it, but I need to. You know, what I learned so much about this stuff from Zig and yeah. just being at the organ at, at the company, but also from his book, secrets of closing the sale was such a big impact on me that if you look at objections as a positive, yeah. somebody that is maybe going to buy will give you objections. Mm -hmm. Somebody who's not interested will say, yeah, okay, great, great. Yeah, well, let me think about it and I'll get back to you. Seriously. So if somebody is saying, well, the price is a little high, what they're really saying is, is I want this and I'm hoping you're going to work with me a little bit on the price, but they wouldn't do that if they didn't really have an interest. So I always looked at objections a little bit differently. And, and again, just probably because Zig was like one of my first, my first sales jobs. So that's all I knew. But it's true that if you look at it in a positive, that when you give them the, the rebuttal mm -hmm. or, or the solution to mm -hmm. their objection, all you're doing is, is just helping them to see how it's going to make a, a, a good impact for them. Again, going back to you shouldn't be selling something you don't believe is a good product or service. Yeah. Um, I, my, one of my, one of my favorite memories when I was, I, I sold software for years and I was in this one company that I, uh, I, I was in it sales actually like outsourcing. And I was in this company that I did not feel good about the company. Mm. There was just mm -hmm. some internal stuff, some integrity things. Mm -hmm. And I just knew that I, I had one foot out the door. It just wasn't a place for me. 
So I do recall on my, one of my last sales calls, because I didn't have the pressure of the quota because I knew I was leaving that I was meeting with, with a company and it was a huge opportunity. And I remember them telling me some things and I, I clearly said to him, I said, you know, I just don't think this is the right fit for you. We're just not the right company for you. And I walked away. And you know what's really funny? I got a call back from that that VP, not only because he wanted to buy. He he said, you know, no, actually, I, we t- thought about it. We really do want this. Like he's selling me on why he's going to buy That's this now. Beautiful. But then he offered me a job because <laughs> he wow. said, if you can be so confident to tell somebody that you're not the right fit, that says you have character, you have integrity, you know whether or not it's a good fit for them. And you're not trying to force anything. So I just think, go back to, if you really think that what you're doing is right for someone and you're telling them all the reasons why they should have it, that's not manipulation, that's serving. If you're doing the opposite though, and you know they're going to waste their money, you know that your product is inferior, then you are literally doing a disservice to yourself because your brand is you. And whether you're in that sales job or another sales job, you take that brand with you and you don't want to be somebody who doesn't have integrity. You just gave such a great example to not coming into that arena of, of, I am here to make a sale, but I am here to see if I can help or not to to put it mildly. That is so huge. And I had to learn that. I called it walk away power. Do I have it? Do I need the money so bad that I'm here to make a sale no matter what? Or do I have walkway power? Of course, what I found, and this sounds like a tactic, but it is, is if I come into it with walkaway power, with uh, really caring and, and treating it like that, my sales just skyrocket. Mm-hmm. And that's counterintuitive. Uh, but it is. So let's, let's wrap this up. Anything more? I'm, I'm just thinking about this. Again, we're talking about the power, uh, the necessity, the benefit to all of us if we are just aware, if we're, if we're present, if we're cognizant of Every engagement we have with another human being, whether it is our coworker, our boss, our spouse, our kid, our, our, our prospective customer, whatever, there is a little, I mean, whatever degree we'll prepare for it, be aware of ourselves in that the benefit just goes up. And yet I think the reality that I kind of want to hit on it is, this is very, very rare today. I think more so than ever where, where are kids, where are our kids outside of us? I mean, this isn't part of school. It's not part of college. It's not part of the job. Even I've seen kids go into jobs where they needed this and the company didn't even teach it. And I don't, I don't know why it's such a lost art, but I think the opportunity then is it's so easy to stand out. Uh, that's the good side for us. Yeah, you know, and you're right. Most of what I've learned about practicing before a presentation and, and, you know, asking questions and confidence and all that didn't come from school or home even. It was more what I learned on the job and, you know, role playing. And I'll be the first to say I'm not a fan of role playing. It does work. But in in the when I have to do it myself, I don't love it. (laughs) I like when I was in a sales role, oh, whenever we were at a conference or a retreat, we had to do role playing. I was like, oh gosh, I don't want to do this, but it works. Yeah. And so just put that, I will say though, it doesn't take a ton of extra preparation to stand out because so few people do it that if you just tweak, you know, if you just practice your presentation or practice your sales pitch, or even practice how you, you know, present something to your spouse in advance, it, it comes across as unique because most of us just kind of work off, shoot off the hip kind of thing. Well, to your thing of role playing, I think that's good for everybody to hear. And we're saying, you're saying that there is a benefit whether you like it or not, but we could also say, look, if there's, if there's X, Y, Z, 
ways to prepare for a presentation, find the one that fits you best and do something. Um, yeah. and I will have to say, cause I did it recently that when I have to talk to one of my kids, one of my older kids, uh, mm-hmm. about something difficult, I will usually write it to them. And mm-hmm. they know that now they know that I, I communicate better when I have time to think and I write and I can look at my words. I mean, that's why I'm, I'm a writer more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then we'll talk about it though, because I know sometimes I can use that. And I have admittedly, I've used that to not have the face to face confrontation. I've done it with my wife. She now knows and gives me grace to say, okay, let me write it out, you know, give it to her, an email, whatever. And then we'll talk about it, but it helps me to think through it and and to say what I mean and not say what I don't mean. And yeah. I think that is so important. My husband does the same thing. I should probably do it more. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of seem to seem to talk based on my feelings, but he does the same thing. And then we can talk about it and it's yeah. not confrontational. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, at a bad time, you talk about it when it's the right time for you. But, uh, I, I like that you do that too. And I, I probably should do that more. Well, again, just to put it off on that aspect of how can we all benefit if we take a moment yeah. or, or more, to just think about what we're saying, how we're saying it, how we come across. Cause we all, I, I and I do back to what you said um, earlier, Michelle, we, there, we all want influence. I mean, we can't nobody. Well, I'd say nobody listening to this show uh, does not want influence. The people who may not care about it would not be listening here. So there you go. Well, Hey, thank you, uh, Michelle. I'm, I'm, I'm inspired. I'm thinking about my appointments today and uh, we'll stop here and I'm going to, note some stuff out. I need to, uh, I'll benefit by preparing for sure. That's so, right. I will too. Thank <laughs> Thanks, you so Kevin. Much. Well, there you go. Of course, I hope you're motivated to be working on your personal and business presentation skills. Uh, but hearing from all these people should also just make us all feel easier and more normal in a world that doesn't give much attention to such things, uh, to its detriment to go forward and put some effort into how we present ourselves overall. Again, it's not the norm in today's culture. We don't get that taught anywhere for the most part. It's like, it's a specialty issue and yet we all suffer or benefit from it. Thanks again to all who shared their comments and experiences. Coming up next in show 671, I bring you Johnny Powlard. Johnny, J-O-N-N-I, he's renowned for bringing meditation mainstream via his organization and app, One Giant Mind. And this was brought to my mind uh, because in show 667 with Michael Hyatt uh, talking, actually that was the, uh, the Habits show, I think. And in the spiritual spoke, he referenced using the One Giant Mind app as part of his daily spiritual habits uh, for meditation. And, you know, in truth, I think more than half, well more than half of the guests who I interview on The Ziegler Show attest to using meditation as a primary part of their daily habits and routines. It's really grown, and I think probably an answer to the stressed out culture that we tend to have and we used to hold up as some badge of merit. And now we're seeing it is not a badge of merit. It's more of a badge of shame to be so busy, so stressed out, and it's not working out for us. And meditation is an answer most people, a lot of people are using. Uh, And, you know, it has a lot of spiritual undertones, obviously. And I think it's always had baggage, but it's really brain training. That's what we're learning. Uh, And an example, if you're familiar with the sport of biathlon, 
where, uh, where in the Olympics, where cross country skiing and rifle shooting are combined. And after vigorously skiing for a distance, the athlete must then stop and calm themselves in order to shoot a very small target and make a bullseye. In our lives, we tend to go, 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 and then struggle to hit those bullseye targets that we want to of success that we desire. And Johnny really shows us how to use meditation to help us calm ourselves in order to be present and fully useful and able as we target our most valuable goals. It's not rest so much as fuel. And Johnny states that most of us are prisoners of ourselves, of our own minds. We never stop to gain control of and over our thoughts, anxiety, worries and never-ending duties and roles we tend to rest i put that in quotes you can't see me uh, by escaping and inter- entertainment which is more like a pause than a refocus and recalibration so this is an equipping message really drove home what we're missing and what we can gain with taking a moment daily to really be present in our own minds so till then folks thanks as always for letting me walk with you as we inspire our true performance together